would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can also help support this channel by getting yourself some Skiba News Nation merch. Also, we are proud to announce that we are now on Patreon, where you will get bonus content, shoutouts, and much more. Thank you again for watching and helping us stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Skiba News Nation. We are also proud to announce that Skiba News Nation podcast is now available on podcast platforms. what it costs. I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you could respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth. Welcome to Skiba News Nation, bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family. Welcome to episode 26 of Skiba News Nation. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we're going to be talking about Qatar hit by a big tornado, sheep walking in circles, Nostradamus and the sheep prophecy, Elon Musk Twitter files, Neuralink is ready for humans soon, Santa's evolution, an all new Opus Corner, and for history, we're going to be talking about Lee Harvey Oswald, James Earl Ray, and Sirhan Sirhan, and how it links to MK Ultra. Joker 2019 prediction of 2022, Joe Biden tells people don't jump, memes, and much more, so stay tuned. So let's dive right in, but before I do that, let me introduce my co-host as always, Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. Oh, uh, where, where's Jake? Oh, there he is. I'm right here. <laughs> hey, back man. Uh, I know I'm not there in the studio, but back as it uh, as it was uh, over here in digital world, you know. <laughs> pretty, pretty empty on this side, I, I must say. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, now I'm on your right side for our uh, recording audience instead of being on the left. So I just jumped over, you know, got on this other side of you. <laughs> Stay on the right, man. Stop all, on the right path. Don't don't be on the left. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be on the left. <laughs> <laughs>
right to some news. Uh, first, I wanted to start us off with imagine playing Monopoly and never buying any assets or investments that generate income. Imagine you just went around collecting $200, giving your money to the rich and trying to stay out of jail. Hmm. That is how most people live their life. So it's an interesting way of playing <laughs> Monopoly, if you think about it. And uh, and a lot of people, you know, were kind of lured into the, the socialite program of the inner cities where you depend so heavily on on other people or government subsidies or or whatever you're kind of lured into the system uh you become beholden to the system and so uh you know some of the alternatives that have been offered is buy land uh get outside of the cities where uh the politics is not so uh strong um yep. but anyways what do you think about that what playing the monopoly game of life without ever buying anything of tangible value yeah, well, when we played Monopoly, my sister would be, I mean, she'd just buy everything up and, and just soak our money because we'd always land on her property and we never had anything to any anything to buy property because she soaked it all up. Uh, and so I don't know if you could do that. I mean, I'm pretty sure you'd go bankrupt in a little while. Yeah, I think that's the point. And then that's when you become a slave to the system. And I think yep. that's the analogy it's making. Uh, and uh, and just to tack on to this, um, recently there's been a lot going on in the crypto uh, wealth arena. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wanted to bring this to our attention. Um, there are several crypto billionaires that have been dropping dead, apparently. Um, starting off here... Veshlav Tehran, 53, died after a helicopter he was traveling in crashed near the resort town of Villefranche sur Mur <laughs> after taking off from Switzerland. No wonder that's in Switzerland. That was a crazy name. <laughs> <laughs> they mysteriously crashed in good weather and after another passenger reportedly canceled last minute. Tehran is the third cryptocurrency entrepreneur to die unexpectedly in recent weeks. It comes just days after businessmen Titian Kulander, 30, died in his sleep. <laughs> okay, so a Russian billionaire has become the latest cryptocurrency businessman to die in a mysterious circumstance after his helicopter crashed. So that's hmm. uh, Vyacheslav. Um, Very anyways, suspicious. <laughs> you know, going back to the whole Monopoly analogy, right? Uh, what's crazy is that these guys are buying digital wealth and whenever that's erased, it's almost like as if you never had it in the first place. Yep. And so I think the point here is we should be careful to invest too heavily in something that can be unplugged from our life. And uh, whenever you think about tangible wealth, you know, property, family, uh, you know, food, uh, the ability to own your own property and grow uh, something to sustain yourself so that you don't have to depend on these new waves of digital currencies um, as the world economic system is switching up in the coming months and years. Um, it's kind of crazy that they're taking out all these independent crypto billionaires. Yep. Uh, what do you think about that, Jeremiah? I mean, it's it, whatever the banks and the big wigs don't like, they're, they're going to take you down. That's what I think. 
Anybody yes, that's doing it themselves, they're they're going to try to take out because they want you to to uh, be a slave to the system. They want you to just, you know, owe them always. It's always about yep. you owing them, but it should be the other way around because they work for us, don't they? They're supposed to. Well, uh, there are some interesting things coming to light of those people that supposedly work for us hiding truth and and censoring important things that the public needs to have uh, kind of on their radar to make very important decisions. And this goes back to the 2020 election mm -hmm. timeframe uh, when this first got kickstarted, uh, a point in which Donald Trump was completely taken off Twitter. Uh, the president of the United States taken off a platform. And, uh, and of course, this has been blatantly exposed in some recent uh, files. Uh, if you're, heard of it uh elon musk recently had a reporter drop quote unquote the twitter files and we're gonna go read through those today and there's some interesting tidbits we'll bring out of that but before we do a few more points here um a guy named peter dow tweeted this as a former clinton staffer whose job was to manage social media messaging nothing in the mtabi thread surprises me this is the twitter files we're about to read through nor should it surprise you both ruling parties game the system every day to protect their big donors and the corporate media and big tech do their bidding um, and so somebody comments under here what pray tell does hunter biden's laptop have to do with biden or his job as president um and uh so you know you can make up your own mind with that topic i, I think too many people uh, get focused on just the the gleaming hyper headline, right? But instead, we should be looking underneath the story of how it it will affect us in a day to day life sense. And so, what comes to mind is the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, uh, and the censorship that was implemented by government figures to then censor uh, all the way up to a sitting president of the United States. Um, but if this came from government uh, kind of issuance, then that is the government infringing upon the First Amendment, which is uh, egregious. It's yep. terrible. Um, this is different from private corporations or private uh, companies making a decision to not have somebody on their platform. And so it brings to mind this funny picture. An autistic man was surfing the Internet. Then the FBI showed up. <laughs> then the FBI turned up. And uh, and what's funny is uh, Elon Musk, you know, he has come out public, publicly saying, I'm a bit autistic. You know, that's why I act the way I do and uh, how, how I have such a high-functioning work ethic is because he gets, you know, hyper-sucked into whatever project he's in. But after acquiring Twitter, <laughs> this picture kind of rings true. No. And uh, it makes you uh, <laughs> consider what's happened to all the people who have exposed the swamp, quote, you know, the, you know, allegedly it's the swamp. I think there's a little bit of tainting in both political parties, but uh, we have to be aware that people get taken out when they uncover some of these secrets. Well, uh, breaking news, Elon Musk confirms he is not suicidal in case they Epstein him. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody else who's recently uh, talked about 
secret societies and big money corporate collusion uh, in a conspiratorial sense that we've covered in a previous couple episodes. Uh, Kanye, or Ye, right? The kind of self-destructive mental health crisis that Ye is going through often ends in suicide. This is so incredibly sad for his children. So this is a meme that uh, somebody posted uh, kind of calling out, and this is posted by a guy named Jacob Wool. Uh, but the comment on this kind of statement coming from the opponents of Kanye and uh, the people that want to paint him as mentally ill and uh, possibly uh, unstable enough to suicide himself as well, uh, it's interesting that they're making these comments when he is also commenting about the very people that would do this to somebody, right? Uh, yep. What an odd thing to say, right? Yep, very weird. But uh, here is here is why I do not think Elon Musk is going to be taken out. Do you want to know? Do you do you want to guess why I think they're going to leave him in place? I I don't I don't really know what I feel about it. Well, uh, I was just kind of teasing uh, because uh, have you ever heard of the Neuralink stuff? Uh -uh. With, That's probably why. Okay, so they're going to leave Elon alone because check this out, Elon Musk said we are now confident that Neuralink device is ready for humans so timing is a function of working through the FDA approval process and we all know that the FDA approval process which was applied to certain uh, medical experiments last year and the year before mm -hmm. uh, in their development um, we know that FDA approval can come quick and fast and so this is literally a computer in your brain uh, transhumanism going into uh, half man, half computer, and uh, and so this is you know Elon's little side project. So while he is this cool bastion for truth, buying Twitter, uh, exposing some of the the insider political collusion going on, he is also developing Neuralink, and uh, and that's why I think they're going to leave him alone because yeah, this is. You know, part of the the whole Borg, New World Order type thing. You know, they want to like the Terminator, advance mankind, and, and this would allow them to uh, kind of be able to interact with people on such a, a closely monitored level. Um, imagine having a computer in your brain and then being able to track and look at every single little aspect of your life that interacts with that uh, computer. Um, What's interesting uh, and and you know significant though is the largest YouTuber, uh, Mr. Beast, uh, currently has made interesting comments. You know they interact regularly on Twitter. Uh, this is Elon talking uh, Elon talking about Starlink. But what's uh, interesting is I've seen clips of Mr. Beast talking about how after a few thousand uh, trials would go through with Neuralink, that he would have no problem putting it in his brain. Because theoretically, you could uh, make all the money that you use to buy it in a short span of time since you would be able to access the infinity of wisdom that is the internet. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, if one of the most popular uh, YouTubers, you know, puts out videos with millions of views on the regular, uh, did some kind of public, uh, public statement saying, hey, I'm going to use Neuralink. Imagine how many other people would be convinced to go right along and plug right into the beast system, you know?
Yep. Scary thought. Um. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's very interesting that he's getting all of this uh, publicity from guys like Mr. Beast who would support the idea of using Neuralink. Um, but that brings us to some of our other articles here. Uh, we're going to jump over and there's a, a recent uh, post from AP News as Congress set to rescind COVID-19 V mandates for troops. And this is uh, very significant because there was quite a purging of the military in recent years because of this particular experiment. Now, there was people that were fighting back against it. There was a, a, a very uh, widespread uh, case standing up against the mandates uh, that was spearheaded by the uh, Navy SEALs, I believe it is. Um, but just like we've discussed in previous episodes, the military and the health uh, establishment, the hospital system, have been completely purged of anybody willing to stand up against these mandates. Some people were vindicated that held on, but most people were pushed out of the system if they wouldn't participate, um, or most or most people caved and went ahead and you know did it something to keep their job, and so now they're more likely in the future to cave to whatever. Uh, coming mandates are presented in the future. So um, very interesting that the mandate for members of the U.S. military would be rescinded under the annual defense bill headed for a vote this week in Congress, ending a directive that helped ensure the vast majority of troops were, you know what, but also raised concerns that it harmed recruitment and retention. Yeah, no duh, because, you know, you're using a, an experimental uh medical process that has not had future testing and whenever you look at the actual way it's been affecting a lot of people who participated in the past two years uh you have the rise in sad sudden adult death syndrome you have myocarditis these are just a few aspects to name a few um and this is not even touching into the whole conspiracy to boost the numbers and uh and to coerce people that was kind of participated in by the medical establishment under directive from the world health organization and uh and just how much they coerced people to participate uh i mean i guess it's a good thing now that they're uh, going to relieve the mandate for military but at the same time a lot of our military participated and so it's too late you know um mm -hmm. I wanted to show this. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Jeremiah? No, no I think you got it. All right. Uh, I wanted to go ahead and jump over here uh, and show a video of a huge tornado that lashed with hail days before England's World Cup quarterfinal against France. So let's check out this Qatar tornado. Opa's got the video. Huge tornado hits Qatar. Let's check out this video. Wow, look at that thing. That's crazy. What a different environment to be uh, 
compared to like the United States and the the plains and Kansas, uh, it's just interesting seeing tornadoes on that side of the world. Yeah, are they not known for having tornadoes? I, I don't know anything about their weather over there. I know we get tons of tornadoes. I'm not, yeah, I'm not super familiar. I know in this part of the country it comes through quite often. Um, it says here, tornadoes, a rare weather event, are not common across the Middle East, but several were spotted in Qatar in 2016. Wow. Very interesting. So it's a pretty rare phenomena. Um, but, uh, you know, just a little weather news for you guys. You were calling me weatherman earlier, so I <laughs> had to fulfill the role. Um, so moving on to our next story. Revealing he too had Manning leaks, Ellsberg dares DOJ to prosecute him like Assange. And of course, we know uh, the interesting story of Julian Assange and guys like Edward Snowden. Uh, by the way, Elon Musk even posted a tweet uh, polling Twitter to see who supports their uh, their records being purged. Uh, you know, them being forgiven of all their uh, espionaging affronts to corporate society uh, of course you know a lot of people think uh would thank them for revealing how much we're being monitored but at mm -hmm. the same time a lot of people just don't care anymore that we're being monitored so <laughs> um, that's crazy anyways this says uh pentagon papers whistleblower daniel ellsberg on tuesday dared u.s prosecutors to come after him like they have julian assange um so he had possession of all the Chelsea Manning information before it came out in the press. And uh, just very interesting. I'm going to have to look further into this particular um, case and what documents he has, as I would suggest you guys check into it. But at the same time, his uh, calling out Julian Assange and uh, putting attention on WikiLeaks founder um, – it's it's timely, especially after you know we see Elon Musk asking if uh, you know here here's the tweet. I'm not expressing an opinion, but promise to conduct this poll. Should Assange and Snowden be pardoned? So apparently, out of three million three hundred thousand votes, eighty percent of people uh, would support them being pardoned. Very interesting. Um, which brings wow. us on to our Twitter files. Uh, we're going to look into the breaking news of all of the collusion between Twitter and political figures. Um, so here we go. It's a, a thread by journalist Matt Tybee. Tybee. And it says here, starting right at the top thread, the Twitter files. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It is a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. Twitter, in its conception, was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication, making a true real-time global conversation possible for the first time. In an early conception, Twitter more than lived up to its mission statement, giving people the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add those barriers. 
Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well. First a little, then more often, then constantly. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, more review from the Biden team. The reply would come back, handled. And so this is an example of uh, the Biden team, right, submitting the tweets that they wanted censored or just deleted. And wow. uh, the team replies, handled these. No problem. So these are documents from, you know, the Twitter email that Elon, I guess, leaked to this journalist. But there's more. Celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. So we have here uh, just some examples. I grabbed the first one under SL, defer to safety on the high profile second one. So they're kind of communicating uh, regarding each tweet. And so there's an internal system being developed at Twitter uh, of kind of weighing a tweet based on its damage or perspective that it's shared on whoever they're protecting or being paid to protect. Mm -hmm. um, both parties had access to these tools. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House and the Biden campaign were received and honored. So this is very significant because it it kind of brings in the Trump White House during 2020 as a political party that uh, kind of engaged Twitter to uh, deal with certain misinformation or certain uh, harmful or demeaning tweets. Uh, and so it, it's to investigate what those particular tweets were and uh, what came from the Trump White House. But also it's important to recognize that this system wasn't balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was and it overwhelmingly was staffed by people of one political orientation, you know, Democratic, leftist, uh, anti-Trumpers, whatever. Uh, there were more channels, more ways to complain open to the left, well, Democrats, than on the right. So you can see here um, an interesting number that percentage of uh, – contributions of a party recipient were so low on the Republican side um, and there was so much money flowing from the de Democratic wing of the government and uh, and the percent of tweets that were deleted or censored for Democrats was astronomically more numerous than those on the conservative Republican uh, side, Trump supporting side, whatever goes on to say the resulting slant and content the resulting slant and content moderation decisions is visible in the documents you're about to read however it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high level executives so it's not just the government that was probably uh, getting in here and getting dirty with Twitter and their censorship team okay there was more throat clearing about the process but screw it let's jump forward uh, what's interesting is that uh Tweets number 13, 14, and 15 were removed or not included in this particular uh, series of leaks, I guess, from Matt. And so it makes me wonder what are these missing 
13, 14, and 15 part to this, uh, but I guess it's something tied to throat clearing. <clears throat> uh, perhaps it's something to look into is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next one, the Twitter files part one, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. Oh. So this is the most uh, pressing one. It's been all in the news. I'm sure there's many examples of them censoring various things, but just on the topic of Hunter Biden's laptop, in 2020, the New York Post published Biden secret emails on exposed based on the content of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop, an expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. And of course, you can find the story here. Uh, it's all about you know how Hunter Biden does drugs. He left his his computer at a repair shop. Computer had sensitive information and it was eventually turned over to the uh i believe the doj or um it was turned over from the the computer shop to somebody in dc uh to be investigated and eventually the the information and the emails contained on that were released to the public and so uh this story went through a lot of censorship uh, the New York Post had their post taken down. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases of uh, kind of, uh, we can't say this word, <laughs> but you can read on screen. Um, the White House spokeswoman, Calais McKinney, was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn, who seethed at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. This all during uh, election season. Wow. Uh, so obviously this story could have, uh, if, if it was allowed to have seen the light of day on Twitter, could have swayed uh, elements during uh, the, the primary election. For sure. There's a new Tucker Carlson original about um, this whole scandal. And it and it it proves that it most voters that voted for Biden would have swapped would have not voted or voted for Trump, which is a crazy yeah. thought, but something to consider, you know, it, it, which is the maybe the lasting effect of this censorship, but uh, it does not diminish how this is a ongoing problem coming from the government. Uh, where a few topics such as uh, the medical um, experiment, Mm -hmm. such as uh, the pharmaceutical companies that are making the solution uh, that is being presented to the world, these things are heavily, heavily censored, which is a affront to the First Amendment. And especially when you learn that the commands to censor such content is coming from the White House itself. And we know that uh, it's only recently that Twitter's been acquired. So imagine how much the Biden administration in the past year has been using this relationship. And Um, and calling that my butt's been wiped to video, he said something else, not my butt's been wiped, but he said my butt's been wiped. You remember that? Oh yeah, that was- My butt's (laughs) been wiped. It's hard to make out what he was saying. I love my wife. I love oh, my I wife. I love my wife. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know what they what they said. He said, but. "Hey, that would make sense." But uh, you know, just to wrap up, you know, there's some very significant points here. Um, 
this is how they would uh, engage back and forth. Um, although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign attacks, there is no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. So they they were painting all of their actions on, oh, we're defending America from hacking and political inf interference from all these uh, other political entities. Mm -hmm. And the Russia, Russia, um, Russia. So a congressman begins to reach out uh, with concerns about the freedom of speech. Um, and here's the, the one found in these internal documents that says, uh, Congressman Khanna to VJ, who was uh, in charge of the, you know, some of the censorship going on. Mm -hmm. This seems a violation of First Amendment principles. And if there's a hack of classified information or other information that should expose a serious war crime and the New York Times was to publish it, I think the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless they are actively aiding the hack. So, to restrict the distribution of that material, especially regarding a presidential candidate, seems not in the keeping of principles of New York Times versus Sullivan. I say this as a total Biden partisan and convinced he didn't do anything wrong. But the story now has become more about censorship than relatively innocuous emails, and it's become a bigger deal than it would have been. Mm -hmm. It also is now leading to serious effort to curtail Section 230, many of which would have been a mistake. I believe, I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts in trending news. And your policy against QAnon groups is all good. It's a hard balance. So this QAnonymous topic uh, was, um, you know, some people question where this particular um, information and uh, kind of online community building came from. But who, no matter how you look at it, this topic of QAnon has completely justified to certain government figures to enact some of this censorship. So this is the far end of the spectrum where uh, because of the uh, January 6th riots mm -hmm. and a lot of people being convinced about uh, Q, Q anonymous conspiracies that then led to supposedly the riots and, and the extremism and, and whatnot. And people uh, claiming that Hillary Clinton's in Guantanamo and that there's, you know, a secret uh, Kennedy that's going to arise from the dead and all of this stuff kind of uh, set that whole realm of conspiratory thinking into deep, deep censorship because it was completely removed from everywhere. And so what, this is kind of the, the, the warning that they are still justifying some conspiracies as being worthy of censorship. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, what's happening with uh, some of these releases is, is just interesting and some here comments uh these comments say this is the greatest election interference in history people from twitter and the media need to be locked up uh and you know there's just so <laughs> <laughs> hillary clinton enters the chat that's hilarious. 
that's what it, yeah <laughs> oh man but uh you know i just got a kick out of reading through the twitter files and hopefully you know it it will lead to a closer inspection on the freedom of speech um because definitely a lot of people who spoke up about certain medical topics about certain political topics were very heavily censored and uh and that's why you know pictures like the one where it says uh, Elon Musk confirms he is not suicidal in case they Epstein him becomes very significant because he's upsetting quite a lot of people uh, it, by releasing do you think that's why information. He, you think that's why he bought Twitter was to expose all this stuff? I kind of am starting to believe that because, I mean, he, does, he didn't have to buy it. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's not like he's going to make a whole lot of money on it. So what was his reasoning? There's, that's a great analysis i think definitely he bought himself protection through the power of voice and because he now owns the platform he gets to, to decide what gets published and what remains on the platform so for one it keeps him from being censored but two it gives him an enormous amount of power uh just think about how in previous years he's used twitter to make stocks for certain companies shoot up and down uh for certain cryptocurrencies also and uh and it makes me wonder how is he going to use it in the coming future yeah it's gonna be interesting to see for sure one of the other uh connections between the hunter biden emails and the fact that they were censored is of course uh you know this topic which a smoking gun email reveals how hunter biden introduced ukrainian businessmen to his vice president dad so th these are some of the the contents of those emails that they called innocuous but uh it, it makes the whole thing very interesting um but in other news um there is a very interesting video i wanted to check out it's uh there has been interesting clips of flocks of sheep spinning in a perpetual circle, not resting day or night, just in this kind of trance. And it's happening uh, in several locations. And so, uh, Opal, you have this video. It's our last news story. And I just wanted to wrap up with some interesting kind of creepy prophecy of somebody years and years ago uh, during the, the 15th century who made a prophetic statement claiming that uh, the sign of these animals wandering and not knowing where they're going and just going in circles and being confused and dazed was a sign of the end times. So let's check out this video. Whoa, that's crazy. It is so weird. It's almost perfect. It's almost a perfect circle. It's really interesting. Makes me wonder. What? Why? Why wonder. is that circle so perfect? Why is it so perfect in the middle? That's crazy. I mean, they're following possibly some kind of electromagnetic signal, something interfering with their you, natural you, instinct pattern. Have you heard of the hum that people here have been hearing in like major cities? It's like this very deep humming, like it, it, people, it drives people crazy, but it's making weird things happen. And it's been happening for oh, like wow. 10 years. 
and it's just now picking up like a lot to where people can't sleep at night. So it could be something related to that, which would be pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it might be. Uh, we'll have to cover the hum I mean, in the I, next episode for sure because that's some crazy stuff. Yeah, I definitely uh, I've heard I've seen videos every once in a while to people hearing strange noises, but uh, we have one more video about this topic. It's somebody uh, talking about Nostradamus and his prophecy regarding these animals. Check this out. Prophecies for a long time have become something mysterious but that everyone wants to know and understand. There are thousands of prophecies of mysterious and strange characters that maybe you have never heard. But there are other characters that are very famous and that their prophecies were not only fulfilled but there are experts trying to study how it is possible that these prophecies were real. Among all these characters is Nostradamus, the most famous prophet of all times. Nostradamus is famous because there is evidence that his prophecies have been fulfilled. But, how is it possible that a prophecy written more than 500 years ago, spoke about what is happening right now with animals? That this prophecy would talk about what we have seen in videos during all these days? Remember that in these days some videos have gone viral where we see hundreds of animals walking in a circle without stopping in many parts of the world. Places like Russia, Japan and China reported how these animals were behaving very strangely. What would you say if I told you that what we are living in these last days was already prophesied more than 500 years ago, that what is happening with the animals around the world had already been warned in hidden prophecies that almost nobody had seen? In these last days, strange events are happening in different parts of the planet. Animals with strange and mysterious behaviors for no reason and natural things that leave many of us wondering or worried. For a long time we have seen how prophecies of different people have been fulfilled but one of the people without a doubt is the one who has been the most accurate prophecy for more than 100 years and his name is Nostradamus. This coming year 2023 is not an ordinary year, it is not just another year for the calendar but it holds different mysteries and prophecies that could be fulfilled. But a prophecy more than 500 years old warned about the behavior of animals. It warned about a strange behavior that animals could have just before an important event occurred. So it is for this reason that many are concerned and waiting for some answer. What does this prophecy have to do with the recent videos we have seen on social networks where hundreds of animals are seen walking in circles without stopping? What mystery is hidden in these prophecies and what could the future teach us? That is why I want to talk to you about. The prophecy of Nostradamus that talks about animals walking in circles. By the year 1555 Nostradamus wrote more than 6,300 prophecies, the vast majority of which have been fulfilled in their entirety. Prophecies that for some might be insignificant but for others are of great importance since they consider Nostradamus to be one of the most respected ancient prophets of all times. That is why many people are dedicated to study the books that this great character wrote. The curious thing is that this character in his time was considered a person with problems and no one ever believed anything he said. It was not until many years later that the prophecies that this person wrote began to be fulfilled and thus the fame of Nostradamus began to grow. Today we will show you some prophecies that will leave you astonished and probably you had never heard before, and how these prophecies could be related to the animals that are walking in circles. The first of the prophecies we will show you is this one. 
she will go away and leave her kingdom so that her son will be the one to reign over the people. Many will not like it and even her son will hate it. This prophecy was written more than 500 years ago and we have to understand that it was practically impossible that in those times a woman would be the one to reign somewhere because the position of king was always kept for men. The incredible thing is that Nostradamus never knew that almost four centuries later Queen Isabella began to reign. As we know, her son now inherited the reign and as the prophecy said the people did not want this to happen. The most impressive thing is that news from all over the world have shown in their reports how the new king of England hates being king and abhors it just as the prophecy said. Just the day he began his reign he was with his wife signing some documents when he did not realize that there were reporters watching and recording him. At that moment the king got angry and said out loud that he was tired and hated what he was doing. In many videos we can see the King of England saying that he is tired and that he does not like to do those things. Referring to the things that kings do like signing many laws and many more things. But what does this prophecy have to do with the most recent videos we have seen of animals walking in circles? What did Nostradamus say hundreds of years ago that talks about the recent events of animals walking in circles for more than three weeks without stopping? What we first have to understand is that hundreds of years ago China did not exist as a government let alone an empire. We are talking about hundreds of years ago so the prophecy does not speak directly about animals with strange behaviors in China. The incredible thing about the prophecy is that it is found immediately after the prophecy we talked about before, it is even found on the same page of the book. Experts say that this prophecy being on the same page of Nostradamus Book of Prophecies means that we are talking about an event that will happen in the same year. That is why many people say that this prophecy speaks of what is currently happening with the animals on the planet because it is in the same year that the death of the queen occurs and her son will take power. But what does this prophecy say that has everyone so worried? The prophecy says the following. Strange behaviors will come and the animals all over the earth will walk day and night without stopping. The incredible thing about this prophecy is that as we already know the animals that went viral in the videos on social media have been walking in circles for more than three weeks without stopping. In a village in China a farmer in the area saw some strange behavior in some of his sheep. Then days later he began to see that this behavior was repeated in all the sheep so he worriedly installed a security camera to record in detail what was happening with the animals. To his surprise he noticed that his sheep were walking in a circle for several days and did not stop at any time. Then he separated one of the sheep from the group and this sheep started to walk in circles as well, so this person got very scared. Not only did this strange situation happen with these sheep but in different videos we can see different types of animals with this behavior. Whales, wolves, reindeer and even earthworms are walking in circles without stopping. But what is the reason of this event? How could it affect us humans? Many think that this could be a sign that something will happen soon and others think that these are just coincidences and that this prophecy has nothing to do with the situation of the animals. Others think that this could be due to changes in the climate and changes in the planet that make animals start acting strangely. The truth is that such prophecies leave us astonished and frightened. How is it possible that a person hundreds of years ago knew exactly what would happen now? How did he know that there would be a queen and that her son would hate to inherit her reign? Like the more than 1600 prophecies that have been fulfilled by this character, 
All of them are a mystery that we will never be able to understand. Tell me if you think these prophecies have to do with what is currently happening with animals. Or are they just writings of an insignificant person? Leave me your comment so we can read it. If you like this video like it and send it to your friends. Remember to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss anything Alrighty. we talk about. Wow. So anyway, something just to, you know, bring up. It, it was very interesting to me seeing that he predicted the whole queen and the king being disgruntled with his reign and then talked also about the animals in the same page of his prophecy so you know he uh, predicted hitler look at no nostradamus did yeah there's a a good show i always bring up shows but it's called the i think it's called the nostradamus effect or something but it's uh he was off by a couple by one letter but it was like uh it was like Hitler, but it wasn't. It wow. was spelt a little bit differently. Probably a, a translation of Hitler, but said him by name. Said that he, he was from Germany or wherever Germany was supposed to be and would rise to power and all this crazy stuff. I guess he's wow. getting a few more right. Very interesting. All right. Well, that's all I got for news and uh, hope you enjoyed. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, I think it's time for an all new Opus Corner. Take it away, Opa. My hut, der hat drei Ecken, drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken, dann ist es nicht mein Hut. It's time for Opa's Corner. So, let's get started. When I went to lunch today, I noticed an old man sitting on a park bench, sobbing his eyes out. I stopped and asked him what was wrong. He told me, I have a 22-year-old wife at home. She rubs my back every morning and then gets up and makes me pancakes, sausage, fresh fruit, and freshly ground coffee. I continued, well then, why are you crying? He added, she makes me homemade soup for lunch and my favorite biscuits and she cleans the house and then watches sports TV with me for the rest of the afternoon. I said, well, why are you crying? He said, for dinner, she makes me a gourmet meal with wine and my favorite dressing, and then we cuddle until the small hours. I inquired, well then, why in the world would you be crying? He replied, I can't remember where I live. <laughs> A man walking along a California beach was deep in prayer. All of a sudden, he said out loud, Lord, grant me one wish. Suddenly, the sky clouded above his head, and in a booming voice, the Lord said, Because you have tried to be faithful to me in all ways, I will grant you one wish. The man said, 
build a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive over any time I want to. The Lord said, Your request is very materialistic. Think of the logistics of that kind of undertaking. The supports required to reach the bottom of the Pacific. The concrete and steel it would take. I could do it, but it's hard for me to justify your desire for worldly things. Take a little more time and think of another wish. A wish you think would honor and glorify me. The man thought about it for a long time. Finally, he said, Lord, I wish I could understand women. I want to know how they feel inside, what they are thinking when they give me the silent treatment, why they cry, what they mean when they say nothing, and how I can make a woman truly happy. After a few minutes, God said, you want two or four lanes on that bridge. <laughs> Two little boys, aged 8 and 10, are excessively mischievous. They're always getting into trouble, and their parents know all about it. If any mischief occurs in town, the two boys are probably involved. The boy's mother heard that a clergyman in town had been successful in disciplining children. So, she asked if he would speak with her boys. The clergyman agreed, but he asked to see them individually. So the mother sent the eight-year-old first in the morning with the older boy to see the clergyman in the afternoon. The clergyman, a huge man with a booming voice, sat the younger boy down and asked him sternly, Do you know where God is, son? The boy's mouth dropped open, but he made no response sitting there wide-eyed with his mouth hanging open. So, the clergyman repeated the question in an even sterner tone. Where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer. The preacher raised his voice even more and shook his finger in the boy's face and bellowed, Where is God? The boy screamed and bolted from the room, ran directly home, and dove into his closet, slamming the door behind him. When his older brother found him in the closet, he asked, What happened? The younger brother, gasping for breath, replied, We're in big trouble this time, dude. God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> George W. Bush, in an airport lobby, noticed a man in a long flowing robe with a long white beard and flowing white hair. The man had a staff in one hand and some stone tablets in the other. George W. approached the man and inquired, Aren't you Moses? The man ignored George W. and stared at the ceiling. George W. positioned himself more directly in the man's view and asked again, Aren't you Moses? 
The man continued to peruse the ceiling. George W. tugged at the man's sleeve and asked once again, Aren't you Moses? The man finally responded in an irritated voice, Yes, I am. George W. asked him why he was so uppity, and the man replied, The last time I spoke to a bush, I had to spend 40 years in the desert. <laughs> and now for the funnies. Here, boy. Here, boy. <laughs> I can't believe this. Can't anyone here get the lid off the mayonnaise? <laughs> bozo! Did you hear that? She called me a bozo! Yep, looks like he's got gummy worms. <laughs> the first thing I'm going to do is wipe that smile off your face. <laughs> Who's been a very bad boy? Can't you ever relax? <laughs> Sometimes I think I chose the wrong major. Making toys in the North Pole. Hanging out in a garden. <laughs> Future world. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, of course I did it in cold blood, you idiot. I'm a reptile. <laughs> Hell's 2,432nd Annual Run with scissors. <laughs> oh, man. I see someone's been to Costco. <laughs> Sierra just got into Costco. Bulk prices. This pamphlet is blank. We're atheists. <laughs> My word, Walter! Sounded like a good-sized bird just hit the window. <laughs> Peter Pan. <laughs> Evilus Canevilus. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Tech support. I'd like to report a farmer in the Dell. Oh my God, it's from Connie. She's written me a John Deere letter. <laughs> For God's sake, kill the lights, Murray. He's back again. I'm a goner. He's doing the butt wiggle thing. Damn it, Jason. Talk to me. <laughs> Accurate. Why, Gary, you've always had the power to go home. Just close your eyes, quack three times, and think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. Hmm. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, I'd say we taste a little like chicken. <laughs> Slave ship entertainers. Gently down the stream, port side. Row, row, row your boat. <laughs> Failed marketing ploys. I cuss, you cuss. We all cuss for asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Dinosaurs didn't read. Now they're extinct. Coincidence? <laughs> and that concludes Opa's Corner. Hut, der hat drei Ecken, drei Ecken hat mein Hut. Und hat er nicht drei Ecken, dann ist es nicht mein Hut. Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe. That was great, Opa. Thank you. That was a good one. All right, well, it's time for some history. So today for history, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Lee Harvey Oswald and how he was a patsy and he was a scapegoat. Well, today we're going to be talking about these three men right here. Lee Harvey Oswald, 
James Earl Ray and Sirhan Sirhan, all in the 1960s. Can you pull up that first uh, timeline I made? So there's, you know, President Kennedy, and then, uh, what year was that, Opa? When, uh, you remember when all these things happened, by the way? Uh, vaguely, but didn't, not. Didn't you see JFK, like, right before he was shot? Yeah, I, when when the parade route went down uh, uh, Dallas, I was in the crowd, but not by Dealey Plaza, but probably a few blocks away. That's crazy. And then Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy all happened, you know, b before 1970. So from 1960 to 1970, these three men were accused assassins. So with this first video, I'm going to try to prove to you because I'm a firm believer that not one of these men was an assassin or killed anybody. So let's play the first clip. A surprising new name is questioning whether Robert F. Kennedy's assassination involved a second gunman. The senator and presidential candidate was shot and killed after a speech in 1968. Sirhan Sirhan is serving a life sentence for Kennedy's murder, but Robert Kennedy Jr. told the Washington Post that once he saw the autopsy report, quote, I didn't feel it was something I could dismiss. I was disturbed the wrong person might have been convicted of killing my father. Robert Kennedy's assassination had happened 50 years ago next week. Now Robert Kennedy Jr. is calling for a new investigation. He met face to face last year with Sirhan Sirhan, that's the man convicted in the plot to kill his father, and he says he left that meeting believing that the gunman was falsely accused. Now it's on to Chicago and let's win there. Robert Kennedy was in Los Angeles on the night of June 5th, 1968, celebrating his victory in California's presidential primary. As Kennedy was leaving, he was shot three times, died a day later. Five others were hit but survived. Police arrested 24-year-old Sirhan Sirhan. He admitted to killing RFK, but said he had no memory of the event. Sirhan was standing in front of Kennedy at the time of the shooting, but an autopsy report found Kennedy was shot at point-blank range from behind. Over the years, new evidence reportedly shows as many as 13 shots were fired that night, but Sirhan's gun held only eight bullets. That's one reason why many now question Sirhan's guilt, including Robert Kennedy Jr. There were too many bullets. You can't fire 13 shots out of an eight-shot gun. Paul Schrade was also shot that night and has doubts. It would be easy for somebody to slip up behind Bob and shoot him, but Sirhan was not in position to shoot Robert Kennedy after his first two shots. He missed Kennedy, shot me. RFK Jr. and Schrade are calling for a new investigation. It was just a beautiful moment. All of a sudden, I, I felt uh, uh, shaking uh, like I was being electrocuted. Back then, he was a union official, a friend of RFK's. Schrade was shot in the head. People jumped on Sirhan Sirhan. Grabbed his gun hand, pushed him up against a steam table, flattened him out. Kennedy died. Sirhan was convicted, sentenced to life in prison. Schrade knows Sirhan shot him, but... He couldn't shoot Robert Kennedy and didn't. He was never in a position to do this. Schrade says he spent the last 40 years well, investigating his gone. friend's assassination. Uh, there's strong evidence of a second gunman. He says experts re-examined evidence. They could not match the Kennedy neck bullet. He got hit in the back and the neck. It was the only whole bullet they could work with. It did not match uh, the Sirhan gun. Kennedy was shot in the back. Schrade says Sirhan was in front of Kennedy. He never shot Robert Kennedy. 
Schrade alleges a government cover-up. Massive destruction of, of evidence right after the trial. But why? I don't know, you have to ask them, because they never told us. We tried to find out. Something historian Doug Weed supports. As someone who writes history books, you cannot trust history. So I don't blame Robert Kennedy at all for pursuing this. Kennedy tells The Post he spent three hours visiting Sirhan in prison late last year after researching his father's assassination for months. I got to a place where I had to see Sirhan. I went there because I was curious and disturbed by what I had seen in the evidence. Kennedy did not reveal what they talked about, but he came away convinced Sirhan did not kill his father. Sirhan's brother, Munir, is grateful to now have Kennedy on his side. Both Sirhan and I were related. I'm really happy. Maybe now we'll uh, you know, have a chance to uh, have more people be aware of what actually happened uh, that, that night. Well, believe it or not, the full release of all files related to the JFK assassination has been delayed yet again, this time until 2021. The president delayed the release in the name of national security, but it raises the question, what possible national security interest could be served at this point in protecting information about an assassination that occurred 55 years ago? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the author of American Values. He is, of course, the nephew of the slain president. He joins us tonight. It's such an odd, I've never done a segment on, on the assassination before, but I'm so struck by how weird this story is. The president has said, point blank, a couple of times, I'm gonna release all these files. He was convinced, for some reason, not to release them. What do you imagine that reason really was? Uh, well, I share your mystification. Uh, the, you know, when they, the stuff that's dribbling out, um, it is information that tends to, connect the CIA to um, to the assassination in one way or the other. I mean, the last one that they let out, what was it, in November Maybe. they let um, they let a batch out, and that showed that Charles Cabell, who was the mayor of Dallas at the time my uncle was assassinated, was actually a CIA operative and had been a CIA operative since 1956. And then there was also some information about the automobile that showed that the window had been replaced. Um, I get any information that 50 years later, people should know about, people should have access to that kind of information. And it's kind of, it's bizarre that they still continue to sit on it. Do you believe that the CIA or another government agency was in any way involved in the assassination of your uncle? Well, I don't know. I don't think that that possibility has been eliminated. A lot of people don't understand that when John Kennedy was killed, my father really lost, was attorney general. And so one of the defenses of the Warren Commission was, well, Bobby Kennedy was the best investigator of that era. He was like Mueller of that era. You know, he had been for 10 years, he had been investigating the unions and the, te the Teamsters. And yes. the, and the mob, and so why wouldn't he investigate it? But the truth is, the day that his brother was killed, he lost all of the investigative capacity at the Department of Justice. He had 30,000 FBI agents who worked for him, but he never talked to, to J. Edgar Hoover again, not a single time after my Uncle Jack was killed. Oh, he really had no, you know, because Hoover at that time began reporting directly to Johnson. And my father, who used to, who, who was ostensibly Hoover's, Hoover's boss, really lost control of the FBI and the investigative capacity of the um, of the of the of the Department of Justice, and he resigned soon afterward.
I just find the whole thing remarkable. The Attorney General of the United States, later a U.S. Senator, a person in a position to have a lot of information, would suspect his own CIA, and now the documents are still being withheld by that same agency. I think it's really fascinating. When you were around 19 years old, Martin Luther King got assassinated. And I was a senior in college. Okay, so you're about 22 or so? I was 21. 21, okay. So you clearly remember as an adult the impact of that situation. Well, for me, that was a small impact. I wound up being the last judge hearing the James Earl Ray matter. Did he, in fact, assassinate Dr. Martin Luther King? And had he not died and his local attorney not died in close succession, it would have been my finding that he was not the gunman. He was not the gunman. That Remington 760 Game Master they've got in the Civil Rights Museum is not the murder weapon. It's not even close. And it was a two-man hit team that killed him from the fire station <coughs> dormitory. It wasn't the flop house and it wasn't in those bushes. So yeah, I got into the deep details of Dr. King and that three or four year period, that case was kicking around in front of me. So you're saying that the, the James Earl Ray did not kill Martin Luther King? No, he didn't get Even, and see, even though most people, well, he, he was he convicted kill for him. It, right? He didn't kill him. Uh, it's interesting, the homicide file for the Memphis Police Department reaches the same conclusion back in 1968. Uh, they entered their file in protest to the DA's office. Their conclusion was Ray is not the gunman. He was not even in Memphis that day. We know conclusively where he was. So why do you think he got convicted for the murder? He didn't get convicted. He pled guilty. You have to understand, though, the news media puts it out as he was the self-confessed killer of King. That's not true. All through the transcripts, the entirety of the record, he never confessed and often he said, I never said I killed King. I didn't kill him. I'm pleading cause of Alford. That's A-L-F-O-R-D. It's a moderately old U.S. Supreme Court case, and it says even if you are not actually guilty and you are pristinely innocent, you may plead guilty to the charge if you think that doing so is in your best interest under all of the circumstances as you know them to be and you're doing so freely, voluntarily, understandingly, knowingly, advisedly, and intelligently. So Ray had gone through all of these and had lost, but there was something that came up. Modern scientific methodology took away one further necessary element. All of these things had to be there and the state had to have a reasonable factual basis upon which to proceed otherwise. The thing the state relied upon was the rifle, but modern scientific methodology excluded that rifle from being the murder weapon. The bullet they pull out of King's body has a rate of rifling twist of one turn in every 11 and a quarter inches. The rifle that Ray had had a rate of rifling twist of one turn in every 10 inches in a bad manufacturing defect that is not apparent on the death slug. Uh, he was shot with an XM-21, it's a 7.62 by 51 millimeter NATO caliber weapon with a special stainless steel barrel, a three to nine telescopic sight modified by a company known as Leatherwood. It was a Redfield sight. And they used special subsonic ammunition with a suppressor on the end to reduce the velocity of the bullet to below supersonic to 
confuse the sound signature. The shot came from the dormitory in the fire station through a window that had been slightly parted. They were several feet inside. It was a two-man team, a spotter and a shooter. That's what he got killed by. If you shoot somebody at that close a range, which was about 50, 60 yards, with a 30 caliber rifle anywhere in the torso, if the individual is standing next to an emergency room, it's a non-survivable wound. But what they did is they took a head shot they almost missed because the bullet was reduced in velocity. It hit King on the right cheek, took out some molars, wrecked his tongue, came out between his jaws, left the body, hit his clavicle, ricocheted under the skin that covered the clavicle, nicked his carotid artery, went over his right shoulder, Another magic down bullet. across the back and lodged between the left scapula and his back skin. And the bullet never penetrated his thorax. Now that sounds a little weird, but it's not uncommon. So he bled out from the nicked carotid artery and they almost missed the shot. And Ray was nowhere around. So had he lived, you would have actually found James Earl Ray not guilty and released him from prison? Well, he would have been close. He had another involvement in this whole thing, and that was that he was a willing part of what amounted to a conspiracy. He was one of about four or five alternative scapegoats, and they picked him for a number of reasons. I did talk to a Captain Tommy Smith, who retired as head of homicide for the Memphis Police Department, who was the first detective on the scene. He said the shot couldn't have been from the flop house because there was a window that he was supposed to fire the shot out of, and who told me that, I never found out. He said, but there was a limb about this thick growing diagonally through the window, and you couldn't even see the Lorraine Motel from that location. He said, I came back with crime scene in about an hour and the whole tree had been cut down and I found out there was a cut down order sent out to the sanitation department early that day, but they were on strike, so they weren't going to cut it down. We're going to start bringing some reality back to television that's not the kind of dysfunctional reality that's so popular these days. We're going to start you should have gotten this in the fourth, fifth, or sixth grade. You didn't. I know you didn't, but here's what the rule is. And let's see if you can become good Americans because of it. Be brave, be honorable, be forthright, stand up, be counted. So if I was an investigator, there would have to be, you know, several, several things that they all have in common for me to believe that maybe... Maybe it, maybe it wasn't them. And that's, you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald, Sirhan Sirhan, and James Earl Ray were all scapegoat patsies. And who did the, who took over the cases? The feds, the CIA. What was the CIA most known for? Or most known for on Skibanese Nation? That's MK Ultra. So if they were the shooters, which I don't think they were, it was MK Ultra. But I really believe that it was, they were scapegoated into being these fake assassins that didn't kill anybody. What are your thoughts on that, Jake? Yeah, just is pretty crazy. Kind of the overwhelming evidence that they worked together to take people out throughout history and 
uh, it just makes me wonder like com- comparing how things were back then to how things are today and and certain figures that are taken out the CIA has to be almost so much more careful because back then you didn't have Twitter and you didn't have all these things that could and, get information and no, d- no, no DNA either so it, yeah. it, it's just crazy because if, if any of these cases were to happen today I don't think any of them would have been convicted I definitely don't think Lee Harvey Oswald would have been convicted I, I definitely think like that judge said James Earl Ray wouldn't have been convicted and Sirhan Sirhan was not even in back of Bobby Kennedy when he was assassinated so something's going on and yeah. you know I don't know if you've ever seen the famous wink from Lyndon Johnson on the plane but I think it all has to do with they wanted to take out these important voices they wanted to silence these people and so we're going to do it and then we're going to find some nobody and push it all on them and the reason why I think I mean I didn't add this but I was going to but I just didn't have the time to edit it but there was a a man that was uh friends with James Earl Ray in the prison that said he was a, he was an escaped convict at that t- at that time and he was nowhere near that part of Memphis so that's that's strange to me <laughs> i mean they they just had no evidence i i just don't know how they got away with it the cia but those are my thoughts well, i mean do you have any different opinions Please sure. Please make sure to let me know in the comments. To tell me what your opinion is, because I I would love to know it. And yeah, that's all I got for the first one. But I think they are still, and this leads up to my second clip. I think they are still using MK Ultra techniques, but on the masses. And I think a really good representation of that is how the Joker predicted 2022, as I promised last week when you were here, that it it like it kind of scared me a little bit after i had watched a second time because i was like oh my gosh this is exactly what's happening today so check out this clip the joker is a warning a warning of how a modern western society will collapse and today this warning is more important than ever because the movie accurately predicts how revolution will come about in the west and judging by recent events we may be much closer than we thought a major revolution in the west the first stage comes when a society is no longer connected when communities are destroyed and loneliness is the norm and we see this in the first section of the movie from the looking glass we see a sympathetic man displaying a sense of sadness and vulnerability a man who has to put on a public mask to blend in as best he can to the society that he lives in and the movie shows us why Arthur needs to do this by giving us a window into his sad life. You see, Arthur has a job at a company named Haha's, where he works as a cheap clown. Arthur spends his time flipping signs on the street and doing other odd jobs. But one day on the job, while Arthur's doing his sign routine, a band of teenagers snatch it from him and run away. Arthur immediately starts chasing after them, but gets ambushed and hit in the face with his own sign. The group of thugs then pour salt on the wound by kicking Arthur while he's lying down on the concrete. It's in this scene that we see the first cracks in Gotham society and the consequences of the lack of cohesion. You see, no one bothers to try and help Arthur, even though it's clear that he's been treated terribly by the people around him. It's a mirror of life in western megacities, and this is having a significant impact on Arthur's psychology. A person's perception of themselves come from how they think other people view them. This develops in a three-step process that begins incredibly early in life. As children, we slowly tap into and notice how other people react to our behavior. Those reactions are then attributed to judgments about how we act. And lastly, an individual then forms a self-image in line with how they think others are judging them. Joker is just so popular because there are millions of men like Arthur in our world today. 
because our entire culture is creating a breeding ground for loneliness, despair, mental illness, where we're bathed in atomizing celebrity at all cost nihilism. A society that's rebuked lonely, despairing young men into thinking they're worthless, angry freaks who deserve nothing but contempt. The hordes of castigated men is symptomatic of a very deep problem in our society. This is shown in the next scene, where Arthur talks to his therapist and asks, Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? But unfortunately, talking to a therapist doesn't seem to be helping his mental health a whole lot. So instead, he tries to get something out of the session by asking for a higher dose of his seven medications, but all to no avail. He tells his therapist that all he really wants is just to not feel so bad anymore, but finds no refuge in her cold demeanor. He lives with his mother. She is almost physically immobile, whilst also being mentally unwell, with Arthur being left to take care of her all by himself. Once the two have dinner together, they turn on their favorite TV show, Live with Murray Franklin. Arthur idealizes as the host, so much so that he starts imagining what it would feel like to be amongst the audience. In his daydream, Arthur envisions sitting amongst the crowd and shouting out to Murray, who asks him to stand up. He starts talking about taking care of his sick mother, all to hear inappropriate chuckles coming from the audience. However, Murray immediately settles them down and relates to Arthur's story by talking about how his father left him as a child. I lived with my mother before I made it, just me and her. I'm that kid whose father went out for a pack of cigarettes and he never came back. I know what that's like, Murray. Murray's like a father to Arthur, and he invites Arthur up on stage, and the two share a reassuring embrace. The next day, Arthur returns to work, and right before he's about to leave, Arthur is told to stop by his boss's office. Once he arrives, his boss coldly reprimands him about losing the company's sign the last day. If you don't return the sign, I gotta take it out of your paycheck. Arthur can only put on a phony, empty smile as his boss takes a cut from his wages to pay for another sign. It's clear that Arthur has nothing going for him. He has no connection to his work. He has no connection to the people around him. He is completely unfulfilled and washed with nihilism. And this is where the second stage of societal revolution enters the picture, the resentment stage. You see, Arthur represents millions of lonely men who have been trodden on by society. Each and every time they're put down, it makes them more and more resentful of the society that has rejected them. This resentment then boils under the surface, and it's clear in Joker that this exact process is happening to Arthur. It adds to the growing resentment within him, and every time he's dehumanized like this, it burns away more of his looking glass self. The loneliness and negativity that this creates in both the individual and the society leads to mass resentment. But what is resentment if not a lack of good communication? Our society has ignored Arthur and millions of men like him, but beyond that, the lines of communication have broken down completely. There's no outlet for men like Arthur, there's nothing left for them to turn to. Mental illness isn't purely biological or a chemical problem, but is instead deemed so by the society of the time. Like in our age of council culture, where we've been taught that people who think differently are a danger to society and that they must be ostracized and bullied into silence. You see, there's numerous factors contributing to how a society perceives and labels individuals as mentally ill. The practice of rejecting those who think differently has deprived people of the ability to interact with outsiders. And this fracture in dialogue leaves many people unable to talk about or even really comprehend the underclass's problems and the reasonings for their disillusionment. And this of course only leads to more loneliness and isolation for those living on the outskirts of society. Which is why the Joker holds a mirror on how a society that shames young men is in fact responsible for the consequences that this brings. A hollow, meaningless, synthetic culture that shows nothing but vicious hostility towards true expression and authenticity. What Arthur really needs deep down is friendship, love, and community. All the things that the radical atomization and breakdown of modern society destroys. Arthur has no one to talk to or any way to meaningfully express himself, and it's tearing him apart. And that is what causes growing resentment in society, when huge swaths of men are completely detached from the world around them and pushed into the shadows. Just as Arthur is about to take the elevator up to his room, he stops the door from closing after a woman asks him to hold it, introducing herself as Sophie, and she begins making small talk with Arthur. This comes as a shock to him, and Arthur has trouble maintaining composure. After Sophie makes some jokey no 
notions about the awful state of their building, and this sends Arthur head over heels for her. You see, so far in the movie, Arthur's only meaningful connection has been with his mother, so when a woman shows him some genuine affection or at least treats him like a human being, this 180 makes Arthur immediately fall for her. But he isn't exactly in love with Sophie, since he barely knows her. Instead, Arthur is in love with the idea of what she could be. In Arthur's mind, Sophie is an image of perfection and safety rather than an actual person. She's the escape from Arthur's horrible dystopian life, and yet due to his anxieties, Arthur hedges his bets and doesn't talk to her any longer, as she could either outright reject him or turn out not to be the person he had imagined, because she is the only ray of joy to come into his dreary, hollowed-out existence and if he squashed that, he'd have nothing left. His life consists of feeling inadequate, feeling numbed on medication, living a boring existence, but Arthur has to grab any joy he can and drown out the realization that his whole life is futile and meaningless. And it's this sort of thing that actually leads to things like incels and OnlyFans. This phenomenon has grown immensely in the past few years, something that we haven't seen before in hundreds of years of history, and this is a result of a huge section of society being completely detached from the people they see on a daily basis. It's this loneliness and not having any goals that makes people do crazy things to nourish their soul. But these solutions are always only temporary, they fall through the hands. We see these solutions, we see these glimpses of pleasure as mere projections. In the case of OnlyFans, a viewer is merely projecting what they want to see onto a woman, and this is just a symptom of millions of men who lack any meaningful romantic connections. These men are everywhere, men who have fallen through the cracks of society and have been reduced to depressed hedonists. But of course these solutions are never sufficient substitutes for real human connection, and like almost all pleasures, they end up leaving you feel empty inside. You see, all the factors that we've talked about contribute to the massive problem of loneliness, and this feeling gives way to a bitter hatred for the society that isolated them. And this is yet another way that resentment has been brewing in our society. Imagine the real world, Arthur also seeks a parasocial relationship with Sophie, and so Arthur invites her out to a nearby comedy club, as he's been practicing his craft and finally has the confidence to perform. However, it all goes awfully. The only thing that goes right is Sophie being the only one to laugh in the audience. <laughs> Following this, Arthur's life only gets worse and worse. Now, a children's hospital really isn't the best place to flex your gun, and so of course this incident ends up getting reported to his boss, and once he hears about it, Arthur is fired on the spot. Even worse, Arthur's friend, the man who actually gave him the gun in the first place, throws him under the bus by claiming the firearm always belonged to Arthur. Arthur takes another lonely ride back home on the subway, wearing his full clown makeup. This is rock bottom. Arthur has nearly lost everything, and each day he's been treated more and more like garbage. There is nothing left to lose. Arthur is faced with a horrific horrific realization that the routine and drudgery of his life, all the pain and fear is leading to nowhere. His constant struggle for a better life was all for nothing. The belief in a future, better, happier life is now completely dead. So what else is there for Arthur if all his beliefs are officially dead? Well, that's when you develop a new identity, a new purpose. And in our real world, this is how more twisted beliefs begin to metastasize. And it's within these new beliefs that Arthur loses his own emptiness and loneliness. In fact, new political beliefs are the only thing that will give Arthur courage in the dark. And just like that, the Joker is born. After years of resentment, Arthur is ready to explode, and something is about to push him off the precipice. He unintentionally starts laughing, to which the group of men take notice. Shifting their attention, they now start toying with Arthur, eventually transitioning to a full-on beatdown. But little do they know, the clown has finally reached a breaking point, and Arthur pulls out a weapon and immediately shoots two of them, and injuring the last one. High off the adrenaline, Arthur then makes his way to the stairs where the last man fled, and proceeds to finish him. But contrary to what most might feel after taking the lives of multiple people, Arthur now finds a strange sense of 
of peace. Due to the victims being high-profile Wall Street yuppies, news of this quickly spreads to the top of Gotham's political ladder. One of the leaders, Thomas Wayne, aligns himself fully against this and enables those who oppose him clowns. Deplorable MAGA Republicans. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. But little does Gotham realize that this incident has lit a fire under the city. Public unrest is bubbling up to the surface, and it's becoming harder and harder to prevent. It seems like just like that, thousands and thousands of people hide behind clown masks. And these clowns aren't just thugs. They are the consequence of a society that has turned their back on the underclass. A generation of frustration, anxiety, agitation, and repulsion to modernity's supposedly high standard of living. A standard of living that solely comprises of a violent and complex stimulation of sense at every second of the day, causing the need for more and more violent stimulation. A generation that craves distraction. As many distractions as can be crammed into the shortest possible time. All while living a life completely isolated from everyone, with no attachment to their labor or society. It's becoming a simple reality for millions of these people that there is no longer a belief in the society that they live in. The binding traditions of the society they live in are no longer enough to fortify the destruction of their community and happiness. And so the only way out of their despair requires a complete revolution. Which leads us on to the third step of Western revolution, social unrest. You see, when a society and its habitus become too harsh, it pushes more and more people out of it. And when the loneliness and resentment get to be too much for people to handle, cracks in the society start to show. And the next scene of Joker gives us an insight into what causes this. It's surely after this point that Arthur goes to see his therapist once more. Schizophrenia's underlying causes is ontological insecurity, which means not being sure whether you actually exist. And as a defense mechanism to this existential problem, the self fractures into multiple pieces. In Joker, we see this happen literally, as Arthur's life devolves into chaos and he becomes increasingly unsure of what's really happening. With his personality splintering into two, Arthur and his new identity, the Joker. But here we can see a change in Arthur. He seems to have confirmed to himself that he really does exist, and the reason why is clear. He has found proof from the chaos itself that he created. His first meaningful impact on society wasn't done by Arthur, but by this new Joker. And this process also happens in the real world every day in the form of political radicalization. Men who have nothing to live for fall into an existential crisis, and often the solution they find is ideology, whether that be incelism or political extremism. But all of these ideologies offer a destructive outlet for resentment disguised as a belief system. And if enough people get swept up by this new ideology, if enough people want to tear down the society they hate, it can directly lead to unrest, violence, and revolution. Sometime later, Arthur gets a visit from a couple of detectives investigating the subway murders. The duo starts grilling him, but Arthur is able to hold it together and get them to leave. Shortly after, he finds that his mother has been hospitalized because of a severe illness. Once he pays her a visit, he sees that none other than Murray Franklin is live on TV, making a mockery of his stand-up. And while it seems like Murray is going to cancel Arthur, he actually receives a phone call moments later inviting him on the show. He reluctantly accepts, but then suddenly gets a bright, twisted idea after hanging up. Instead of going along with the inevitable public humiliation, Arthur will instead send everyone a message by ending himself on live TV. This is how he shows how sick the society has become, and he will sacrifice himself to do this. And you see, this is the turning point, where the Joker begins truly spiraling into madness. Firstly, after talking to Mr. Wayne, Arthur soon discovers that his mother was never actually his biological parent, and that he had been an orphan this entire time. And he later learns through confidential documents that his mom regularly abused him as a baby and had cooperated with her boyfriend while doing so. The straw that broke the camel's back was the mention of a head injury that was the probable cause of Arthur's laughing condition. After this is revealed, Arthur makes his way up to the hospital and takes away his mother's life. 
Things take an even worse turn once Arthur visits Sophie in her apartment, who appears terrified at just the mere sight of him. Arthur attempts to make some conversation, but she responds by saying she doesn't even know who he is, because their whole relationship was just a delusion. Although fortunately for Sophie, Arthur is able to somewhat gather himself and leave without hurting her. By this point in the story, Arthur's self is truly degrading. Possibly the last good things in his life have dissolved in a matter of moments. The bitter truth of his real reality has destroyed his last self. All the delusions of his relationship with Sophie have crumbled into the ground. These constant blows grow Joker's identity, and it's this exact road that many incels go down as well. The process of radicalization is extremely toxic, with violence occasionally following in its wake. Societal problems like this lead to the horrific disasters that we see in the US. A generation of alienated lonely men is one of the most dangerous things to society, and the Joker shows this, as Arthur gets ready for a spot on the Murray Franklin show. While making his way to the studio, Arthur begins dancing down the stairs, fully embracing the chaos that he finds himself in. However, he gets interrupted when the same detectives who questioned him earlier see Arthur and the scene he is currently making. The two move to arrest him, but he bolts to the subway station, even getting hit by a car on the way there. Once they will reach the metro, nearly everyone inside is wearing clown masks to blend in with the ongoing protests. Fortunately, this allows Arthur to slip away from the law, and in the process, the detectives start getting beaten up by an irate group of passengers. The rebellion is growing. All the branches of the government and society around them are slowly being destroyed. And after everything he's been through, Arthur finally makes it to the TV studio. He hides his true intentions by donning his public mask and begins dancing whimsically over to his guest chair. He's playing his role as the stupid idiot loser man. And after he takes a seat next to an elderly couple, Arthur plainly admits live on TV that he was the one behind the subway attack. He defends himself by saying that If it was me dying on the sidewalk, you'd walk right over me. Obviously a well-connected and influential man like Murray Franklin isn't very convinced by these justifications because he is the top of society, he is the elite, the status quo. He's the one reaping the rewards of this sick society. And Arthur has already made up his mind about what he's going to do next. So he asks Murray if he wants to hear another joke. What do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? You get what you deserve, as he proceeds to air Murray in the face live on air. This is the final stage of revolution the trigger. It's that one action that brings down the house of cards. For Arthur, this is the final release of all the pent-up anger and resentment that's been boiling up inside of him. A twisted catharsis to get back at the society that treated him like dirt. And this action is the final stage of revolution, where the growing loneliness and resentment of society hits a breaking point. When new political beliefs start, this makes Gotham a ticking time bomb. And the ending of this key establishment figurehead on live TV is more than enough to set it off. To all the millions of clowns, Murray is a personification of the society that has kept them down. And it's seems to be that the trigger like this is seemingly the only step we've avoided so far in today's world, but we can only hope that these changes to our society are reversed before it's too late, as over the last section of the movie we see the consequences of this revolution play out. Chaos ensues, with riots erupting all over Gotham, and in the back of a police cruiser, Arthur sees the sheer scale of the upheaval that he has caused, and it brings a smile to his face. It seems like Arthur is on his way to be locked up for life, until a rogue ambulance crashes into the vehicle, killing the two policemen, with the protesters then carrying an unconscious Arthur out of the wreck and laying him gently on the hood of the car. After a few seconds, Arthur gazes round at the massive crowd that has formed. It's at this moment that Arthur no longer exists. His new identity, his new belief, his new hope for a better world has begun. And so he starts dancing in a similar fashion to before, as he draws a smile with blood across his mouth, and the crowd cheers, seeing their messiah. At the end of the film, the Joker finds himself imprisoned in Arkham Asylum being questioned. He has been telling a psychologist a story, and begins laughing once it's all said and done. The interrogator wants to know what's so funny, but Arthur responds that she just wouldn't get it. Moments later, he steps out of the room, and the film ends on a hallway shot of Arthur walking towards a window filled with light, leaving behind a trail of bloody footprints in his wake. Just like in Joker, tragedy is all that awaits if we see this twisted course of events in our own world. Something must be done to stop these similar processes in their tracks, otherwise Joker could turn from a mere warning to a prophetic image of the future.
Oh, that's it. Wow. Well, well, it shows it shows the riots. It shows t making criminals into heroes. It shows society and how it can make a man crazier and crazier. And this is how I believe the left is, you know, turning people crazy and mostly men. If you're a straight white male, you're demonized. They 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 don't they don't like they don't like you. And 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 the reason why I bring MK Ultra into it cuz uh, let me read this to you cuz this is what MK Ultra was. This is I got this off the internet. MK Ultra was an illegal human experiment program designed and intended to develop procedures to identify drugs, phones and big tech uh to weaken individuals and force confessions through brainwashing the media uh and uh, psychological torture like is that not the same of what's kind of happening today in our media and all that i mean what are your thoughts oh yeah that that video broke down so many aspects of society today and really i mean it was a pretty dark look into mental health and kind of how people's demons can manifest uh, by just not having real personal connections. And when everything's dealt with online, uh, it's really hard to see those kind of warning signs when somebody's about to snap, you know? And, and it, it's really curious of how society's set up to kind of compel the mental breakdown of the people that just live day-to-day -day meaningless lives mm -hmm. and it kind of makes me wonder you know how prophetic are they trying to make movies like that do i mean are they trying to say you know society is going to collapse as soon as people start to step up against these big big uh, corporate figures like um mm -hmm. Arthur did in the movie or uh, you know what are you what are your thoughts well I know my dad I'll always believed that movies were kind of they were kind of telling you what they were gonna do before they did it he was a very big believer in that and I know that he believed that and I believe that Yeshua is the only answer to this madness and when he returns uh, the only true that, that that's the only true hope of a good reset does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the best hope to have. And, and, ju uh, and just like those sheep uh, going in a circle, I mean, we don't want to be like those sheep and just following the one in front of us. We want to we be leaders and, and, you know, stand up for what we believe in. Exactly. So that's all I got for, for that Joker thing. It it, it kind of made sense this week too to play it, but now I got a oh, little yeah. little more lighthearted one. Uh, and uh, let's go, Brandon. Let's play this last clip. Respect for beg your pardon nations, treaties as law. Respect for beg your pardon. I I, I thought I thought you said no. This man is the leader of the free worried. world. I somebody said no. Hey, hey man, don't jump. You look crazy enough to jump. Don't jump. Don't jump. And that guy up in the balcony there is threatening to jump. 
They don't, they don't understand we have a climate crisis. Don't jump. Don't jump. Don't jump. Don't jump. Don't jump. Don't jump. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Don't jump. You guys are used to jumping. Don't jump. What does that even mean? Hello, Cleveland. <laughs> Don't jump. It's great to be here, and I have one plea. Don't jump. Don't jump. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> Don't jump. Don't jump. Don't jump. Stupid national depression. By the way, in the, in the parking garage, don't jump. I need you. Don't jump. At least I can understand him. I see him. Yeah. And then we also have Don't Nolan. jump. We need you. And I want to thank all of you, the cancer patients, survivors, caregivers, and don't jump from up there, okay? Uh, <laughs> don't jump, Michael Ford. Okay. Mr. President. Don't do it. Good afternoon. So that, that's my grandson, Bo, up there, and my granddaughter. Don't jump. Don't, don't jump. jump. <laughs> How old are you? Oh, you're getting old. Thank you. And don't jump. <laughs> what the heck? Don't we jump. And I made this for you guys. Great again. We will make America great again. We will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. We will make America glorious again. And we will make America great again. Great, great, great again. Great, great, great again. We will make America great again. And that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I uh, <laughs> that last part I worked really hard on to try to get it to to sound like President Trump was rapping, you know. But what do you think about that "Don't Jump" video? I mean, is that not Don't the weirdest jump. thing? Like, it's if like somebody it's disagrees to phrase. Yeah, if somebody disagrees with them. You know, he tells them "Don't jump," and then you know, if there's somebody up in a balcony, he says "Don't jump." It's like it's kind of like a like a like a bad joke for like what if somebody had a loved one that that jumped at one Jeremiah, time Jeremiah it's all connected to like what you uncovered last week with the MK Ultra and the guy jumping through his window to his oh. death I mean he's like dangling the truth right there in front of everybody he, he's like he's, you better support me or I'm gonna make you jump <laughs> yeah he took that right out of the Clinton's book we're gonna make you jump <laughs> yep anyways well that's all i got for awesome. history this this week so it's time for some memes so meme me up meme me up don't got a lot of memes this week but i got a couple all right uh, just couples so you better guys than none no 
this is the evolution of Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> these are ancient statues throughout history, and these statues depict kind of the, the characteristics that evolved into the modern Santa Claus all the way back from Nimrod to Baal, Osiris, Odin, Saint Nicholas, Sinterklaas, and Santa Claus. And, uh, you know, don't shoot the messenger. Uh, when you when you tell people what the Bible really says, this is often what happens. <laughs> yep. But don't forget, if Yah brings you to it, he will bring you through it. And that's uh, with all truths. You know, just be a light in your own life by walking out your faith and, and don't worry too much about you know uh, trumpeting over people of what you've got figured out that they haven't but just apply it to your life and that's the best place to start yep. and he'll bring you through it uh, here's a picture of I'm leaving Twitter but first I'm gonna tweet about leaving Twitter then I'm gonna <laughs> stick around to see what everyone thinks about me leaving Twitter <laughs> that's funny Oh man, this oh, man. is uh, a left. It's a left. A lot of people reacting to Elon Musk and some of his uh, activities and agendas are saying this kind of stuff. Yep, that's great. Uh, here's one I forgot to share during our news segment, but you can read it. Uh, the conspiracy theorist who warned you of these few topics are now warning you of digital ID, social credit scores, central bank digital currencies climate lockdowns and energy rationing uh that sounds like uh, us <laughs> pretty much well, what did, we're doing i don't know if you've heard about this but about canada they're making people have like an app to get back in the country or something and wow. e even if you've been hokey pokey you like they put you in mandatory quarantine i saw a video yeah. on it of cops forcing people to do this thing and it's just so weird and it's like please don't don't start that here because that's how you push a civil war in my opinion oh yeah countries like the uh the australian kind mm -hmm. of crackdowns for uh the previous year we have uh canada these are precursors for how they would like to roll it out in the whole world uh but very interesting the social credit scores and all that stuff um, and, uh, and here's, here we have, um, Elon Musk commenting Twitter acting by itself to suppress free speech is not a first amendment violation, but act, but acting under orders from the government to suppress free speech with no judicial review is so, uh, just one more call out and somebody says it's 100% collusion between government and big tech to violate the first amendment. And uh, our last meme of the day, I remember a time when lots of people got colds during the winter and we didn't talk about it or worry about it or adjust our lives in any way because of it. Yep. <laughs> you know, flu season. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember oh, man. getting the flu a couple times, but it's not a thing anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fear translated to power. Anyways, that's all I had. Uh, not a lot of memes this week, but that's... Uh, That'll be it for me. All right, man. Well, thank you, Jake. Thank you, Opa. And thank you guys at home for, for watching episode 26. And we'll see you in episode 27. And don't jump. No, I'm just kidding. See you next time. <laughs> don't jump. <laughs> see you. If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, 
please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skibanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560-271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe. You can also help support this channel by getting yourself some Skiba News Nation merch. Also, we are proud to announce that we are now on Patreon, where you will get bonus content, shoutouts, and much more. Thank you again for watching and helping us stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. We are also proud to announce that Skiba News Nation podcast is now available on podcast platforms. 